Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here with part two of our series about delegating yourself out of consultations. So uh, I wanted to focus this episode on de-risking the process. So big picture for anyone who didn't listen to that episode, I'd probably recommend listening to it. But what we're talking about is getting yourself out of the consultation process, ideally where it is a need and not necessarily a want. But uh, if you're at the point where you're the limiting factor in terms of your law firm's growth by handling the consultations yourself, then you it's probably about time to think about getting a hire in place. But biggest reason why people aren't hiring is because it is very expensive in both the investment and the opportunity cost of having a salesperson who's not producing. So we're going to get into five quick tips in terms of how to kind of de-risk this process. And I wanted to kind of start off with a, a little bit of background on on why uh, (laughs) I'm so uh, educated on this situation. And that is because I have probably added more people to the Case Fuel alumni group from incoming sales positions than anything else. We are thankfully in a position where we've had a ramped up sales team for quite some time, but it took me many, many years to figure this out. And um, I think there's some quote about this, that people end up teaching what they needed the most. (laughs) So this is definitely something that I wish I had about six years ago. So anyways, without further ado, let's get into the biggest things to de-risk the hiring process when it comes to sales. So first biggest mistake, you know, triple highlighted red alarm warnings. The biggest mistake that you can make and the most expensive mistake that you can make in hiring sales is hanging on to losers. Now, I don't want to say that the people that end up not working out within your sales organization are objectively losers, but you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm not making judgment calls on people as a person, but if they do not work with you, with your firm, with your product, then you need to cut bait really, really quickly. We have never seen a situation where somebody who did not come out of the gate strong ever turned things around and gained momentum to get out of the gate. It is extremely rare. So one of the things that we want to make sure is having really, really strong expectations for when people are going to produce. And if they don't hit those expectations, then we can very, very gently well, I mean, maybe not so gently, but we can let them off the hook and pretty much set this up. So one of the kind of corollaries to this is we want to basically make sure that we're able to de-risk this from a hiring perspective. And again, I am not providing legal advice in this situation. Uh, you know, Obviously, there's going to be different requirements for different bars and whether you're hiring somebody who's a JD versus not and blah, 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 disclaimer and all that stuff. But when you're entering one of these arrangements, the way that I would suggest doing it is make sure that we're structuring things as a trial. Because if we have the situation where you're left with an unemployment liability, then that's not a place you're going to be. And you don't want that hanging over your head when you're trying to make the best decision for your business in terms of the right salesperson, right? We never want to hang on to somebody expecting it to get better for any reason, honestly, period. Like, But it's, it's a lot easier to rationalize that when you're some ways pot committed, which getting somebody in, in a different situation is going to be. And I'll get into how to kind of address this from the hiring perspective. But 
wanted to go to my second point is test immediately and try to get people to ramp up. So I'll go through a couple examples of this, but basically a big problem that I've seen in a lot of the businesses that we've worked with, the law firms that we've worked with, is that there's a really big and elaborate ramp up period where, okay, well, we have to make sure that we're getting this person, you know, the, the craziest education on the business and all this stuff too. And then all of a sudden we're three, four weeks in and the person hasn't picked up the phone once to speak to a client or had a single person in the office to work with them, right? And this will actually feed back into the first point because this is more time that you've invested. This is more money that you've invested that is going to make it harder to cut bait if the person isn't going to be the fit. But how great would it be if you could take the situation, if you find out somebody's a loser on week five and instead have them find it out in day five or you know day one, ideally, right? Uh, day one might be a little aggressive, but um, in general, we're almost always having the people that we're bringing in on sales positions to have real activity that they can you know, put their nose to the grindstone in before the end of the first week. And this is absolutely critical to making sure that you're de-risking the process and making sure that you're not emotionally investing or financially investing or investing your time or sanity into this person in a way that's going to prevent you from uh, actually making the decision if they're not a fit at the end of the day too. So we have to get a little bit creative of what we're going to be doing in terms of ramping them up. And I can kind of go through a couple. Well, let me go through a really easy situation for estate planning law firms, which is what we've been working with primarily, right? So a very challenging thing too, and I'll also say this too, this this is uh, one of our, our measures that was left on the cutting room floor. Uh, don't apologize for lead volume, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But basically, uh, there's a situation where if you have somebody who has these absolutely primo leads, then you have a situation where people can get a little spoiled, right? So if somebody's getting you know the nicest referrals or the most primed seminar leads or yada, yada, and they don't want to roll their sleeves up and deal with the dirty stuff, then you're going to have a hard time when those leads end up drying up and everything will. And there's kind of an ebb and flow to all this different stuff, but you can get a twofer if you're ramping people up on the dirty work, right? So I'll give you an example. If you've ever run seminars, you probably have reservations that were done with a, you know, teledirect or some sort of a, you know, call center type situation to take these. And you no, know, this is a huge opportunity for anyone who's ever done this. You can call those people. <laughs> they still are going to die. And many of them didn't end up uh, picking up an estate plan before they ended up signing on with you. So if you have a list of people who attended a seminar and didn't close for whatever reason, you can have your new hire start calling those people on day one. And depending on the experience that they have, they might be not really necessarily need to get ramped up on estate planning or you know, however it happens to be. So the cool thing is that this is twofold. One, we get to see how they perform under pressure on, on terms of real calls. And second, if we ever have the situation, again, why I phrase this as ramp them up is that we don't want to keep them doing this forever. We can have them start on the lower risk, you know, no drawbacks if things don't work up stuff. And then we, we gradually can work them up to the, the Glenn Gary leads, so to speak. But if the Glenn Gary leads ever slow down, well, guess what? You just go back to what you did the first week. They know they can do it. If, if you know that they can do it, then that's going to make you confident. And it's, it's kind of good too, because you never really have to worry about being knocked back or whatever ends up happening too. Another observation that I've seen here in the same way that we've never seen somebody who was a loser turn around and become a star closer. I've seen a huge pattern with the people who do well on the junk leads do great on the super good leads. 
there's never like some, you know, there's not, there's not like a situation where somebody who's just like rough around the edges is not going to do better with a good lead. It's just, honestly, the people who can work those leads generally have more drive. They have, you know, stronger force of personality. They're able to deal with more objections and it's just, it's a higher level skill at the end of the day. Right. So that should be the kind of person that you're wanting to have in the closing position at the end of the day too. So ramp them up, start with something that's a little bit less forgiving, and then you will get a lot of benefits from that. Okay. Next thing is be careful during the hiring process. See what you can do to avoid having bad people end up signing the contract and getting to the business in the first place. So there's probably a whole other series I need to do this, but you know, in terms of the, the philosophy that we've kind of adopted over hiring, a big corollary to hanging on to losers is not thinking that you can get a replacement to. And that's a really bad place to be. We don't ever want to be hanging on to a suboptimal situation because we don't feel like we have an alternative. So the flip side is we want to make sure that we're having a really, really strong hiring process. But again, like I said, this is probably something that we need to do in another episode. But the big idea that we have is if you have a nice big pool of applicants, and the way that you're going to do this is by using the right networks, having the right ads to write them that are going to be attractive to the right people, and, and you know, kind of framing the opportunity in a way that works, then you should have an abundance of, of applicants to work from, right? I actually heard something really, really interesting. It's so the reason why a lot of, um, you know, if you look at some of the top colleges, right? You know, the education at Harvard University is great. There's a lot of private schools that have probably, you know, not, not to, 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 to poo-poo Harvard or anything like that, but there's qualified professors at all these schools. But one of the reasons why Harvard has consistently brilliant applicants every single year is because they have a really, really low application rate, right? So if they're getting 40,000 applicants to fill, you know, 2,000 spots, then, you know, you're able to pick from the absolute cream of the crop. One of the situations that's tough and, uh, you know, as far as like a, what I would consider a bad hiring process, right, is like, oh, hey, you know, my brother-in-law just got laid off. Uh, you got a spot for him. So you're, you're going from a pool of one to a potential applicant of one. And maybe you're even lying to yourself in terms of whether this person's a good fit or not. Great applications if we worked it down from a pool of 10. An even better application situation would be when we're holding it down from a, a group of 100. And what that ends up doing is that we're actually able to filter a lot better. This doesn't actually, taking somebody through a grueling hiring process isn't going to make any individual entrant into that funnel any better. But over time, uh, one of my favorite things ever is this, uh, this quote from Joe Polish, quantity has a quality all its own. And what, I, what that means is when you have enough people, the likelihood that you're going to have a superstar in the mix goes up, right? So basically, if we have these superstars, we can filter the superstars. At the end of the day, it's going to be a lot easier to get somebody. And I would actually, and, and the other thing too, is that we can't make people jump through too many hoops if we have a really small pool, right? So a couple of things that I'd really, really recommend in terms of this. So when we're doing a first level application, and this is something that we do for everyone that we have that has a phone related position, we have them send us a recording or a video, right? If somebody has a, and, and you can tell, I'm, I'm not going to say that it's, uh, you know, there's, you know, I'm, I'm really covering my butt on, on being ableist on this call. But basically, if you have somebody who doesn't seem like they're coming across as very engaging, if they have a difficult to understand voice or they're a mumbler, that's not somebody you necessarily want to have in a position where communication is going to be a big factor of whether they're successful or not obviously. So that's a really good first hurdle that you can get anyone to apply to do. And that should cut down the, the numbers quite a bit. Another thing is we want to be pretty stiff in the interview. And there's a couple of things that there's an interesting convergence in, in some of the, uh, the, the books on sales too. There's, so there's this great book by uh, the late, great Chet Holmes, The Ultimate Sales Machine. And one of the things he talks about is when you're in the hiring process with somebody who's going to be a closer, you want to actually tell them that they're not going to be a fit at some point in the interview and just hang back and see what they do. 
because the person who's going to be pushing through objections is going to be pushing through that objection with you. And what that also shows is that they are at a disadvantage in the interview. They are being forced to speak truth to power, so to speak. And if they can do that in an application process, they can do that on a client. So and that's exactly who you want on, on your team. I mean, obviously there's some other things you want as well, but you get the idea. And the last thing I want to do in terms of the hiring process is I'd really, really recommend, I mentioned this briefly earlier, but the DISC assessment is going to be the, the one that we prefer in terms of figuring out where somebody's at in terms of a sales position, right? And the two major things that you want to look for too, there's the S and the C, steadiness, conscientiousness, but then there's there's going to be dominance and influence or the DNI. So basically those are the two ones that you'll, you'll kind of see. So, and again, I've actually seen some really good closers in both positions. D is going to be one of the like, you know, stronger kind of hard closer type people. If that's not something you're comfortable with, then you're going to be able to see what that person's like before you end up getting them on a call with a real client than that too. I think influence is a really fantastic one as well. The only thing you have to be careful for is that if you have influence without a lot of D, then you can have a situation where you kind of have sort of a doormat type salesperson that doesn't work super well. So ideally you want to have somebody that has high scores in one and mid scores in the other. And even if they're not really uh, super good on that, if you have somebody like with, you know, a high S for, for some reason, that's like, that's steadiness. Like that's probably somebody who's better off in like a ops role or something like that. Right. It's kind of funny to see these things play out over time too. Like if you have the wrong person for the role too, like, you know, they'll start, uh, you know, critiquing what your like input forms or your intake forms end up looking like. And, you know, that's, that's time that they're not spending dialing clients. So at the end of the day, that's, that's not something that you want to. So anyways, big point about the hiring process. We want to have a big volume. We want to structure the interviews in a way that actually reflects what they're going to be doing, which is going to be closing clients. And then we should have a much better starting point in terms of the people that are going to be uh, starting with the organization. Okay. Number four, provide tons of support. So this is a pretty tricky one. And I'll, the reason why it can get hard is because a lot of the times too, we're hiring from a point of being overwhelmed. So you want to budget in time of this and you always want to keep in mind that there is an end for this, right? So realistically, uh, the way that, and I'll tell you how we're doing this right now, because I'm still managing the sales team here at Case Fuel, we have a meeting every single day and we have a meeting every single end of day. The reason why is that we're able to give feedback in real time in a way that you can't necessarily do for other positions, right? So I don't have daily meetings with uh, people that are doing copywriting or people that are doing client success because they don't necessarily have that immediate feedback loop. With anything related to sales, you do have that immediate feedback loop. If they have something that's a whole or an unknown unknown and you can close that gap, they can literally take that and bring it to the next consultation that they have. And that is really how you cut down the time on having those people that are less than 100%. And the faster you wanted to run that cycle, the faster you can ramp people up. And ultimately that results in less opportunity costs as you get that person up to 100% of their uh, capacity, right? The kinds of support that I have, and again, this is probably something that will branch into another podcast at some point down the line. Ultimately, we're, we're, we're looking to help people really understand why things are happening. And, and it's it's tough because the consultation and sales are, are one of those super, super nebulous things. I think I said this in the last episode, there are a million and one ways that somebody can have a consultation. Every single response, every single question somebody asks, there's a lot of options that kind of boil into it. So you, you really can't teach specific things beyond the super basic, you know, intake stuff in terms of calling an old leader, something like that. You might be able to script that out, but when we're talking about something that's, you know, a lot wider uh, in terms of the options that people have, you have to get somebody to understand the principles because you can't have a, you know, an SOP on how to have a 60 minute conversation with somebody about their legal future, right? It's, it's just, it's just impossible to do so. 
wherever possible too. If this is something, and again, check with your local bar organization to find out whether this is, is allowed or you have to get consent or whatever. If you can be in the room with somebody, if it's an in-person situation, or you can record something, if it's something digital, this is going to be an absolute goldmine for being able to course correct. I do this all the time sometimes too. And, and I think I mentioned this the other uh, on the other podcast as well. It's like, you know, every once in a while, I'll drop in and do a consultation just so the team can see how I would do something in a certain situation when we have a new uh, deck or something like that. And I shock myself all the time too, because I can leave a consultation with a certain impression of how things went. And then I look at it and I have a completely different outcome that I saw in the moment, right? Good or bad. So uh, it's very, very tough to get genuine feedback from people. And it's not because anyone's being deceptive, but it's like, you know, if you're engaged and actively listening and, and doing all the things, it's very hard to hold mental bandwidth to you know, provide a field field report on, on how that stuff all went. So the more support that you can give your people, the faster they're going to be able to ramp up something to keep in consideration when you are going through the process of hiring somebody, at least if you're not interested in wasting a bunch of money. And then the last and certainly not least thing is you got to do your job and your job as the business owner, once you've stepped out of the sales role is to keep the volume of opportunities high. This could be through marketing. This could be through reaching out to your old database. This could be through all the different activities that you can have. But one of the things that is, and this is an absolute killer and you really, really hate to see it is if you get these guys ramped up, they're going to be really, really excited. And if they start to see that things are trending in a direction that isn't good, you have to be, have a bigger vision than, than what you have today. Because when you have somebody who's really, really trained up, that's such an asset to have. And then to see them uh, start to look elsewhere because the volume isn't there, that's really, really something that, that stinks. And that's not that I mean, you'll ever see, and this is you know, going to be in the, the mid to long range in terms of your, you know, working with somebody who's going to replace it. But just make sure that you're, you're making commensurate investments into making sure the lead volume is high. And just the other thing, too, is that you have to kind of circle back to. So in theory, when all this stuff works out, you should have more resources, right? If you're maxed out, and let's just say for easy math, you know, you can handle $100,000 worth of closed consultations per month. You even get somebody up to 80% of that. Now you can run 100,000, they can run uh, 80,000 or they can run 80,000, you can run half and you can do 50,000 and commit the rest to you know investing in other areas of your business. But still, you should have some more resources to be able to reinvest in this stuff. And I would definitely recommend that if you want to keep things going up and to the right, that's something you really, really need to consider. And again, you'll probably have a situation where you're going to go through less profit before you have more. But once you're on top of that, you need to make sure that you're keeping the machine fed and not necessarily your sales team, but the machine of your business, right? And the, and the marketing that you're going to be producing to do that is, is really going to be the soul of all that stuff. So just keep in mind, like there is investment you need to continue to do. But that being said, you should have more at your disposal to be able to, to do that. Just uh, don't lose sight of uh, the end goal, which you know, if you are hiring a person, hopefully should be you know increasing the top line of your business. And then, you know, after you get them ramped up, hopefully the bottom line as well. So that is it guys. I hope this was valuable. If you have any questions, feel free to shoot out to our show notes as far as uh, ways to follow up with us and for everybody else. I will see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the law firm growth podcast. Thank you for listening to the law firm growth podcast for show notes, free resources, and more. Head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode. 